0: episode of Bright New Star. We have Charity and Marie here and today we're talking about the principle of hope. And as we were starting talking about this
1: I thought about reframing hope. That was the idea that we had and it's not redefining hope it's putting a new frame around it. I think some of our frames like the glasses have broken and we need to put our hope back in a frame that we can hold up in front of our eyes and still be able to read and function. I love Henry David Thoreau's quote, and I think it describes what hope really is. I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate himself by conscious endeavor. I feel like that's what hope is, that there's a possibility of change. Hopelessness is when we think nothing is ever going to change. I can't change. This person can't change. The circumstances can't change. It's just going to be this way forever. So what is it that helps us have hope that change is possible? And I really believe that hope comes through discovering and applying principles that help us to change and to grow. And as we change and grow, miraculously our circumstances change and we see things differently. We need those glasses held up in front of our eyes, that hope in front of us that change is possible. And so we need those frames to hold that in place because there's a lot in the world today
0: that convinces us that things are never going to get better. Right, especially if you read the news or you're talking to anybody. Unfortunately, the news really, really likes to give downers. Like what sells is drama, but our lives don't have to be full of drama. However, if that's what sells, then that's all you're going to find in the news. And then you go and you talk to other people who are aware of the world, who absolutely keep up with politics or the news or what's going on in the neighborhood or the world, but they still have hope because they haven't put their full belief in the drama that's selling. Instead, they're putting their belief in a God and they're putting their belief in an ability to move forward, even with the yuck that really is happening. There's plenty of yuck happening. That is not to be disregarded, but they are moving forward. And I think hope is an action word. It is something that moves you forward. And I've noticed in the last five years, really since COVID, that hope is a harder one for people to hold on to. When I talk to people around the nation, one question I often ask is, where is your hope? How is it? And they'll be so excited about these other aspects of life. And then they'll say, well, I don't know. I I don't know that I have a lot of hope left. And it really struck me because I thought, oh my goodness, okay, I'm going to start observing. And so then, last week, we had a youth book discussion or a colloquium on the book Brave Companions by David McCullough. It's a portrait in history, I believe, is how McCullough stated it. So they'll have people like Louis Agassiz who talked and studied fish. Oh, he stood up and taught young adults beautifully and we had a whole generation of young adults who so desperately wanted him as their professor. And then we had Humboldt and all of the studies he did in South America and he came to Thomas Jefferson and the two of them would walk through the garden and talk for hours on end because they had so much information and knowledge and they could share it with each other. There was Teddy Roosevelt, there was Remington, there was a photographer who who came and took portraits of what America looked like at that time, I believe it was the 1940s, so that we would have a memory of what our country looked like. But as we talked through these amazing people and loved it, even Maria Frothschild, who studied, if you can't tell, I'm a scientist and I love anything about science, and she studied the flea, which normally wouldn't be interesting, except for that she then brought it into how it was applicable to life and why we needed to learn about the majesty of God's creations. And she never stopped learning. And a piece of hope is that you continue to learn. You never give it up But as we talked about these amazing people we then brought in some of the hard subjects and one of them was about the panama railroad so many people died constructing that railroad it was terrible either they died because they got sick or they just gave up for every track laid there were dozens of men who died and so if you're trying to make a long railroad Was it worth the cost in human life? Even the owner said, I don't know that it was worth the cost. I noticed that as we talked about that portrait of history, I found that the hope in the room started to go down. And because I've been observing and trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? I was able to pinpoint it. We had the discussion that was good to happen because you need both sides, right? There's an equal and opposite principle. And so to understand hope A lot of times you know about despair, whether you've gone through it or not, you understand about it. So we went through the discussion and then we filled things up with light again. We want to make sure we fill things with light so that we can have hope again because we don't want people to leave totally discouraged. When they are depressed and discouraged, they're not going to move forward into what they need to do. Even though you might've gotten your point across, at what cost? Right. And I, th- I think
1: one example that I love is the example of Mr. Gabriel in the Sudan. He was one of the thousands of young people that was displaced by the Civil War there. And they escaped to avoid the war or to be becoming part of the war and being recruited. They walked a thousand miles and then ended up in refugee camp after refugee camp. And eventually he was able to come to the United States and get an education. And then he went back to those areas and he started schools under trees. They called them tree schools. And he did it, he's to give hope, to keep hope alive and minds active. Hope through education, which I just think is so beautiful. After all the things that he experienced, he knew there was hope out there and he wanted to share that. And he had that hope through getting an education. He personally led those efforts. He didn't wait for a program to happen. He created that program. Just started
0: gathering the kids under trees and teaching them. Isn't that beautiful? How about a hope and friendship? Mm-hmm. I love Benjamin Rush. He is just one of my favorite founding fathers. And I'm reading a book right now called Friendship and Healing, The Dreams of John Adams and Benjamin Rush. While I knew that Rush was the one who had reconnected John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, what I had not realized, and I'm going to actually read this because it's so incredible, it was a dream. It was a dream that Rush had, but he had a hope that their friendship, the two great Americans, his greatest hope was that they would reconnect in friendship because he knew the amount of, of knowledge and experience that the two of them had were literally the bedrock of what our nation would be remembered on. And then one night he had this dream and he shared it with John Adams. And John Adams then went on and he reached out to Thomas Jefferson and they reacquainted themselves. And here's the dream. Benjamin Rush said, my dear friend, what would you think of some future historian of the United States concluding one of his chapters with the following, my dream. What book is that in your hands, said I to my son Richard a few nights ago in a dream. It is the history of the United States, said he. Shall I read a page of it to you? No, no, said I. But sir, said my friend, this page relates to your friend Mr. Adams. Let me see it then, said I. Among the most extraordinary events of this year was the renewal of friendship and intercourse between mr john adams and mr jefferson the two ex-presidents of the united states they met for the first time in congress in 1775 their principles of liberty their ardent attachment to their country and their views of the importance and probable issue of the struggle with great britain in which they were engaged being exactly the same they were strongly attracted to each other and became personal as well as political friends they met in england during the war while each of them held commissions of honor and trust at two of the first courts of europe and spent many happy hours together in reviewing the difficulties and success of their respective negotiations a difference of opinion upon the objects and issue of the french revolution separated them during the years in which that great event interested and divided the american people the predominance of the party which favored the french cause threw adams out of the chair of the united states in the year eighteen hundred and placed mr jefferson there in his stead The former retired with resignation and dignity to his seat at Quincy, where he spent the evening of his life in literary and philosophical pursuits, surrounded by an amiable family and a few old and affectionate friends. The latter resigned the chair of the United States in the year 1808, sick of the cares and disgusted with the intrigues of public life, and retired to his seat at Monticello in Virginia, where he spent the remainder of his days in the cultivation of a large farm, agreeably to the new system of husbandry. In the month of November, 1809, Mr. Adams addressed a short letter to his friend, Mr. Jefferson, in which he congratulated him upon his escape to the shades of retirement and domestic happiness and concluded it with the assurances of his regard and good wishes for his welfare. This letter did great honor to Mr. Adams. It discovered a magnanimity known only to great minds. Mr. Jefferson replied to this letter and reciprocated expressions of regard and esteem. These letters were followed by a correspondence of several years in which they mutually reviewed the scenes of business in which they had been engaged, and candidly acknowledged to each other all the errors of opinion and conduct into which they had fallen during the time they had filled the same station in the service of their country. Many a precious aphorisms, the result of observation, experience, and profound reflection, it is said, are contained in these letters. It is hoped the world will be favored with the sight of them when they can neither injure nor displease any persons or families whose ancestors' follies or crimes were mentioned in them. These gentlemen sunk into the grave nearly at the same time, full of years, and rich in the gratitude and praises of their country, for they outlived the heterogeneous parties that were opposed to them. And to their numerous merits and honors, posterity has added that they were rival friends. Again, that dream, that prophetic dream happened in October, 1809. And Adams actually said, a dream again? I wish you would dream all day and night for one of your dreams puts me in spirits for a month. I have no other objection to your dream, but that it is not history. It may be prophecy, which it became because of one man's hope in the friendship of two great men that he knew held the history of our nation. That is beautiful.
1: I love that hope and friendship, hope in education, hope through the ability to change one's life for the better an individual change. And Mr. Girl did it for an individual and Mr. Rush did it for two individuals. And some people are able to do it for many individuals just to change their story and their idea about their own lives. It's just so exciting when they help people just put on those different glasses and see the world differently. Yes.
0: They reframed it, and we need that. Oh, my friends, have you noticed that it's so easy to fall into negativity instead of into hope? I think it's because we have to choose hope. And I love this scripture, Psalms 16, verse nine. Again, I'm using my King James version. Sometimes I use my NIV version, but today it's King James therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth my flesh also shall rest in hope what a beautiful scripture because you can rest in hope can you rest in stress (laughs) no right i can't i prove myself really well because when i'm way 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 too stressed my body takes a toll I love playing, I'm learning how to play cello, and it's a very humbling thing to learn as an adult. Sometimes my wonderful cello teacher will be like, you are way too stressed, and you're trying to hold the weight of the world in that bow and hold it up. Let gravity push it down. And I realize I'm not resting in my play. So she has me Zen cello sometimes so that I will learn to let go. But again, with that scripture, my flesh also shall rest in hope. What does resting and hope mean to you? Well, as you were
1: saying that, what kept coming to my mind was Stephen Covey's circle of influence versus the circle of concern. Yes. And resting in your circle of influence. That just kept coming to my mind. Do I rest in my circle of influence? We we stress in our circle of concern, but we can rest in our circle of influence because we can have hope there on the things that we really can Change and and ultimately, as Covey is always telling us, all we can change is ourselves. But we can change ourselves. We have that kind of power, and we're gonna talk about that in a future podcast about being the creator in our life. And there's hope that comes through that, just knowing that we do have power. Hope comes from knowing we have power. We really, really do. Power to change, power to influence, And the more we rest in that circle of influence, the more that circle grows.
0: Yes! Oh my goodness, isn't that so true? As our circle grows, what happens? We get to influence more. We get to be a force for good, and we get to go back to the previous podcast, which there is a cause, and you are needed. And we have that hope. It is so important as things escalate, because guess what, in today's world, I'm sure they will continue to we can rest in that hope and not only that but hope brings joy it brings gladness it brings this energy I was thinking earlier explaining about working with the youth in that book club that we do it's the energy of hope that moves us forward and if we don't have it then how can we truly accomplish what we're sent here for and How can we find joy? And we're supposed to have joy. We are literally made to have joy. I love imagining in my mind God with laughter. I see him so often in my mind's eye with a smile on his face or just chuckling. And there are many times where I'll have an experience and I'm like, Father, you definitely have a sense of humor because of the way that that experience mapped out and you taught me and yet there was humor and there was goodness and there was joy in it we don't have to be miserable but in order to find the joy we need the hope definitely
1: we can have that It's a choice i love that hope really is a choice It's choosing to discover and apply principles. Stephen Covey always is saying, you want to take immediate control of your life. Hopelessness is feeling like your life is out of control. Stephen Covey says, if you want to take immediate control of your life, make a commitment and keep it, or set a goal and work to achieve it. You want hope in your life again, start making and keeping commitments and start setting and achieving goals. And they can be simple, right? Oh, absolutely. Little tiny things. And that will build our confidence and our hope, and it's beautiful what it will do. I remember the first time I set a fairly large goal, and I achieved it, it blew me away. It blew me away, and it gave me so much hope. Like, oh, I really can make change happen in my life through just my actions, just what I have control over, just my circle of
0: influence. And that changed everything for me. I believe it, it would for me too. It does for me too, not just would, but it does. And again, you can start simply because who do we control? Ourselves. Where do we make change in ourselves that then influences others? Hence, we're sitting here right now, fulfilling some goals.
1: (laughs) You're stretching us. (laughs)
0: Absolutely, 120%. And
1: I've been trying to think with reframing hope, You know, what can I put in place in my life that keeps the hope in front of my eyes? Because it's there, but what can I put in place that just keeps that right centered in my life? What have you found? I believe it's the education, the studying, studying people who had hope and who didn't have hope. Just like we've been talking about how hope has changed and that it does work for everyone. It's not, well, that works for some people, but not for other people. Really just putting in place some things that keep hope in front of us. And I think it probably is different for different people. But for me, it's just study, study. Because it's fiction, not just nonfiction. I learn a lot from from those amazing writers, just like we were talking about in the last podcast about artists that make a difference. Yes, There are authors who have taught me about hope beautifully through fiction. It's powerful. And that's how I reboost my hope and
0: keep it in front of me. Oh, yes, that's wonderful. How do I reboost hope? I think, yes, through study, absolutely. And also for me, action. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because sometimes my thoughts like to go all over and take me on all kinds of rides. (laughs) And this time, when I realize it, I go, okay, hold on, (laughs) let me take a step back. And that action, is how I'm able to take the step back. And it might be, funny enough, cleaning Mm -hmm. or exercising or playing a game with my kids Mm -hmm. or reaching out to a friend. But it rebuilds that hope because it changes my mindset. And from changing my mindset to being back in control of what my thoughts are instead of just letting them go willy-nilly, I know for myself, I always lean towards hope because I believe there's a God. And he leans towards hope. And I'm his child. And if I'm his child, I'm going to be like him, especially in that way. Well, and as you say that, it
1: reminds me of that hope comes often through service. Yes.
0: As we serve others, our hope increases. That's so true. Especially when we see we're doing all right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oftentimes,
1: when I think things are fairly hopeless, God will connect me with someone Who's in a situation that is far more complex and complicated and in my vision much harder than where I'm at. And I say, thank you. He you put something else in front of me to help me just change my perspective. To yes. raise my sights. Something funny I often do when I get a little down is I literally and my kids. They think I'm so funny. They'll walk in on me occasionally. I'll stand on the chair or on the table. I love this. <laughs> I I choose to get higher physically because I can't just run off and climb a mountain or something. And so I just will stand on my chair and if I really need it, I'll stand on the table and just look at life from a different perspective. And that gives me hope. Sometimes I just think about how nice it would be to be taller, I'm like these cupboards would be much more functional. Right? <laughs> if I were six feet tall, but but just the change of perspective. And I think that's what education, service, all of those things that we've been talking about do. They change our
0: perspective.
1: That brings back
0: the hope. Yes. Oh, that makes me so happy. So my question for you is what are you doing to reframe? your hope. What actions are you putting in place? We're not meant to be sedentary people.